This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Army is expecting fiscal 2023 to be a big year for its digital transformation efforts. The question, as with most agency programs, is whether Congress will deliver on the Army's budget request. Federal News Network's Jason Miller joins us now with an update on the Army's digital transformation priorities in 2023 and beyond, should the money actually come through. Hi there, Jason. Hey, Jared. So I believe this is kind of our first look at the Army's IT budget. So let's start with some of those top-line numbers. What does the IT and cyber budget look like for next year? These are the numbers we've been waiting for for a couple months now, ever since the White House released its uh, budget to Congress. The Army, the Navy, the other kind of military services tend to kind of follow behind maybe a little slower with more detailed budget information. So Raj Iyer, the Army CIO, uh, held a press conference today along with General Morrison, the Army G6, and they talked about, okay, here's our top line numbers. And for the IT cyber budget for 2023 request is $16.6 billion dollars. This is the highest of all services across DOD, partly because the Army provides 60% of all IT support to the combatant commands worldwide. Now, the IT budget is slightly less than 10% of the total Army budget, which is about $180 billion. Like any good IT budget, it's broken down into IT and then a network and then cybersecurity, so two big ones. For the the cybersecurity budget, the Army asks for about $2 billion, and this is both for offensive and defensive operations, as well as operating the network and some research and development efforts. Now, Raj Iyer is the Army's chief information officer. He says the bulk of that investment, that $16 billion investment, will go to network support and modernization. About $9.8 billion. And this is clearly supporting all the way from the tactical edge, including support to current operations, all the way to investments we're making the cloud. In 23, really, it is also our opportunity to scale our cloud efforts that we have made some tremendous progress uh, in 21 and 22. And so um, we're uh, seeing about a $290 million investment in cloud in FY23 to continue to further uh, our cloud migration journey. Army CIO Raj Iyer there is talking about this budget that's coming up in 2023. He also expects his operations and maintenance or his O&M budget just that supports current and some legacy IT to actually be slightly lower in 2023 as compared to this year. Overall, he does expect the Army's IT and cyber budget to be fairly flat in 2023. Of course, who knows what Congress will do, but that's what the request is. Interesting, suggesting they are getting rid of some of the legacy and replacing it with some of the new. So what are the main priorities that he wants to make progress against next year, Jason? Like most CIOs, cybersecurity is one, and then network modernization, in this case, the unified network, remains a, a, a close 1A behind that. Of course, Jared, there would be no discussion around cybersecurity if we don't talk about zero trust. The, uh, the Army is moving toward more active defense and security of that unified network. Uh, General John Morrison, the Army's G6, says he expects two areas of cyber to continue to grow. The first is around the convergence of electronic warfare and cybersecurity capabilities. The second is around people. It is more than doubling over the course of the next several years. And that is caused by two factors. One is Army-approved growth. And then two is uh, our electronic warfare professionals used to be a functional area operating on their own. They are now a part of the cyber branch. And almost all that growth is on our tactical formations. Think BCT, division, and core. General Morrison says uh, this growth is part of an analysis that's ongoing by the Army. So he expects really to begin in 2023 and continue to as far out as 2028. Now, as far as the unified network effort, that's going to pick up steam in 2023. 
He says the unified network operations effort will take more advantage of enterprise services from things like the C Army platform or from other parts of the Army. And the, arm, the network also will move into tactical formations so commands, units, others can take advantage of hybrid cloud and better data analytics. And Jason, I think it's fair to assume a pretty big chunk of this IT cyber budget will be the behind-the-scenes business systems. What do we know about that category? This is what Iyer called one of his biggest, maybe his boldest priorities. He wants to take the five enterprise research planning, the five ERP systems that the Army currently uses for things like financial management, human resources, and the like, along with 150 support systems and modernize all of them over the next decade. Currently, the Army spends about $1.4 billion on these systems today, and many are 20-plus years old. Along with this budget request, IRS says the Army will take another key step this summer when the PEOEIS part of the Army releases a call for white papers under an other transaction agreement or OTA approach to better understand what industry has to offer. We expect to award multiple prototypes in, in 23, and these would run anywhere from 12 to 18 months. And then uh, at the end of that effort, you know, just like any OTA, we will get to a production contract by down-selecting one of those prototypes to be our uh, production solution. Some of the things that we will be looking for as part of this, this effort, this prototype, is to look at how modular the architecture is, again, to make sure that it's future-proof. We'll be looking at you know, the ability to support data exchange through APIs and microservices. This, again, will help us make sure that interoperability with other systems and to be able to use that data seamlessly across other systems and analytics. We'll be looking at the system being cloud-native from the get-go and making sure that we can fully benefit from a true modern architecture. Army CIO Raj Iyer there, he, he also says that he wants to keep the OTA at a very high level so industry really can come in, be an innovative ideas, provide some really key, where is the whole process going next around these back office business systems? He also was clear, Jared, this is not going to be a big bang program. This is not going to be another billion dollar or $5 billion contract. They are going to use the iterative DevSecOps approach to all this development over the next decade. And Jason, you said it's the largest of the service IT budgets, which it, which it usually is in the Army, always is, in fact. Um, but what if, I, I think it's also basically not really an increase from 2022. So what happens if it comes in lower than the Army expects? What are the what are the main priorities that go above the waterline and what, get, what gets cut? <laughs> What's getting cut? That's always the question that, that that's the hardest one to answer sometimes, right? Uh, I know that the Army is looking at ways to create more efficiency, save some money. But here's the good news, Jared. Uh, Raj Iyer and his folks have already been up on Capitol Hill to talk to lawmakers and their staffs about their needs and their plans and the budget requests. Those meetings happened last week and will continue to happen. But we also know how Congress works. We know budgets tend to be, quote unquote, dead on arrival from a lot of uh, administrations, a lot of agencies. So there's a lot of uncertainty about what Congress will do. And there's a lot of growing concern above and beyond Congress about the impact of inflation on the budget and that's going to leave potentially the Army in a tough spot. So one of the discussions that IR is having and has had with the Oversight and Appropriations Committee is around what we call the color of money. We have highlighted to Congress how that colorless money pilot has helped us on one program where we're implementing defensive cyber operations tools and has truly shown us that, you know, when we have flexibility in terms of being able to use, you know, you know, single color of money across the spectrum of, you know, research and development, prototyping, implementation, 
and support enables us to continuously modernize, be able to continuously look for new technologies and new cost products that are rapidly you know, coming up in the space. And so we're not locked in into one solution, and then we transition something into sustainment sometime down the road. Army CIO Raj Iyer, he adds that the move to DevSecOps and having that money that doesn't expire really do go hand in hand to this entire modernization of systems applications, this digital transformation effort. Jared, it's key that he sees there's a future coming. The future's got to be digital. The question whether now is whether or not Congress agrees with him and Congress will support a lot of these budget requests. A lot more is still to happen between now and uh, October 1 and probably beyond the way uh, continuing resolutions go. All right, Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks for the update. Always a pleasure. And you can find Jason's coverage of the Army IT budget at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader and what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, And uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, admit, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that 
that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi- historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. 
Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 